And good evening, our fellow lovers of love, and thank you for joining us on this excursion down the stream of consciousness towards the river and tranquility and on towards the lake of love. Yay! Hey, maybe it's going to be a good show tonight. I didn't screw that one up because we were just talking behind the stage about how that's kind of screw up the intro, and then this is the one intro I don't screw up, so there's no way to have the conversation about me screwing them up and being a running gag, which completely ruined my whole intro. But I can't screw it up on purpose. Maybe that was a thing. I was expecting to screw it up and got it right. I don't understand myself sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been that kind of a week. I've been, you know, we go through, I go through the week, and I have a bunch of philosophical points to start the show, to kind of theme the show as we go through here. And this week, it was an interesting week. We came across parenting questions from my timeline, from my, you know, from my news feed. I use kind of my friends and my network as a, as a way to kind of guide that, just to kind of see what's going on in the world. I have a nice, diverse group. And you're dealing with parenting issues and how to deal with the evolving culture issues and and all the various routine things. These are routine things that happen day to day, but because of the way life currently is, there's a a bit more stress to it. Whether there needs to be or not is not actually you know is not a relevant question at this moment because it is. You know, it's the way it is, and we have to kind of accept it. But how do we navigate it? And it occurred to me that, you know, one of the things we're not doing right now is asking questions. We're not good at it. And the reason we're not good at asking questions is because we're not good at listening. I mean, if you're going to ask a question, you have to be good at listening to the, for the answer. You have to be willing to hear something you don't want to hear. You have to be willing to hear something you disagree with and contemplate it honestly and honorably. And it's hard to do that when we're living in fear. Be it fear of a virus, fear of, of overreach, or just fear of all of it. Free floating fear. You know, there's a lot of extra fear this these days, and it's been relentless. Political fear, cultural fear, medical fear, fear, educational fear. You got children. How? What's the future of education look like? We don't know. And that uncertainty brings a sense of fear. Even if we don't think of it as fear, even if we don't necessarily feel afraid, we are human animals. It's fight or flight is an instinct. We can process it differently. You know, our brains can process it differently, but our bodies don't. Our bodies are very base. You know, it's happy or stressed or at rest. That's your three states. You're happy, you're stressed, or you're at rest. It's a gross oversimplification, but, you know, and how do we balance that? Because stress is a part of life. 
trying to find happiness, whatever that actually means. It's ill-defined as happiness is. <laughs> how do we find happiness? And then how do we make sure we have enough rest, physical and mental and emotional rest? How do we navigate that? We do by asking questions of ourselves, of our families, of people who know more than we do. But we have to be willing to listen. Far too many of us aren't willing to listen. For whatever reason, I'm not going to sit here and judge and say why, because quite frankly, there's as many reasons as there are people. But I was thinking the other day, there's a concept in uh, science fiction that if you go back in time and you change one thing, you know, think of uh, the movie back to the movies Back to the Future. You change one small thing, you can completely change the future. But there's a flip side of that. You can change the future now. You just don't know it. Everything you do can change the future. Everything you don't do can change the future. Be careful how you tread. Be conscious. Not just for yourself. But it's selfish to want the world to be a better place in the future. You have people you love. You have future generations of your family. We all want it to be better. But I will leave everybody with, I'm going to start with this. Over the course of 30 years, life doesn't get worse. It always gets better. The only time that wasn't true was the fall of the Roman Empire. And it took 50 years for it to start to rebuild. So, over a course of time, life always gets better. Well, sometimes it's fast, but generations, older people, we always go, ah, everything looks like it's falling apart. You know, my grandfather said it, my mother says it, I say it, but yet, look back over the course of history and look at any 30-year period and you can see that we've advanced. Do you really want to go back to 1990? Do we really want to go back to the 1960s or the 50s? Pick a time period in the past. Who of us, how many of us actually want to go back in time? More than a decade. And we only want to go back in a de decade because it feels simpler. But there's this trick. It wasn't. It was just as chaotic as it is now. just the way life is. All right. With that out the way, my love. How have you been this week? Uh, it's been a down week for me. It, uh, uh, it's hot. I can't go outside. I got the summer blues. Then you have medication, so you have to stay out the sun. Out of I, have to stay, I have to stay out of direct sun. And so, yeah, that's... That's pretty hard. But I got a question, our very first question on the list. And I'm going to ask it of you. Because okay. you've gone through a lot in your life. From alcoholism, bipolar disorder, 
divorces, child custody issues. But we don't have to go into detail. But you know, you run the gamut. So what mindset? What mindset change changed your life? What mindset change changed my life? Yeah, what mindset changed your life? That things are always changing. Nothing, nothing is forever. Nothing is forever. And that goes good or bad. So I enjoy the things that I have in my life while they're there. I treasure them. And the bad times of my life, my darkest hour, I, I just kept in my mind that things are, were going to change. Nothing stays the same forever. And I have a belief in God. I believe that God is watching out for me. And uh, I'm, I feel that I, I'm, I'm very blessed. I'm very blessed. See, for me, my mindset change was, and it's a soft change. It's when I actually started to understand that I had anxiety disorder, not depression. I, I wasn't, but the fact is I was fundamentally different than most people. And that was okay. That the rest of the world was just going to have to accept it. And so I never had to, you know, for most of my life, I was trying to be something other than what I was. Now, for a good chunk of it, I didn't understand. But still, you're still trying to force yourself into a, into a box that doesn't fit you. Whether you understand that it doesn't fit you or why it doesn't fit you is kind of irrelevant. You're trying to stick yourself into a box. It's like a gay person trying to be straight. It's just not going to fit. You're just not going to... Never be totally happy. And so once I accepted that it was that anxiety disorder, I don't even like using the term disorder, that I just am the way I am. That normal is a fiction. Yes, it's true that I have to be careful because I can bounce between fight and flight very easily, much easier than other people do. But I've learned how to control it, more or less. If I'd had an earlier start, I'd be much better at it. You know, but we didn't know these things when I was a kid. <laughs> you know? You can't blame them. You can't shake your fist in ignorance. It doesn't... No, nobody knew. <laughs> nobody knew. Yeah. Or there was a handful of people that knew it. You can't really, they weren't around me. So how was I, you know, you can't blame anybody because nobody knew. Or you you can, but it's just going to lead to you being miserable. And ultimately, you're responsible for picking yourself back up. Now, I want to be clear, I have a lot of help. I have friends and family that love me and support me and give me everything I need to move down this path. But when you look out on your on the streets and we see these homeless people and we wonder how they got there, I don't wonder. I know. You have some kind of emotional or mental issue. You get disconnected from your friend and family network and next thing you know, you're all alone. 
And the next network you build is people who are otherwise homeless and you get stuck. And if you have anxiety disorders or bipolar disorders, it's going to be very hard for you to trust systems. And how do we change that mindset? By asking questions. There's no easy answer to our problems in society. There's no easy answer to our problems in life. There's no easy answer to our problems about how to raise your child properly. And we have to accept that. The mindset that there is no easy answer. And if you ever come across something that has an easy answer, take it, be thankful, and move on. Because it's not going to come across very often. I mean, it will happen. <clears throat> not very often. Be thankful that you get that opportunity. Okay, so this first article we've got here caught your attention. The biggest thing that therapy taught her about her anxiety. Well, I like the, uh, I like the, uh, I, it gave me something I hadn't, I hadn't thought about before. Yes. I want to remind everybody that you can find these articles on our website, latenightlove.us. And you can, we link to all of the show prep at the website, on the website. Okay. Go ahead. Sorry, Lon. That's all right. Um, it, but the this the person who wrote the article took the mindset that what I call doom brain, always thinking up the negative, which I have, kind of um, is a buffer against getting disappointed, getting your hopes up too high. With the, uh, that's why when when something goes well, I'm happy. I'm uh, ecstatic. Oh yay, something went right. Uh, uh, I was wrong. I'm happy to be wrong. Yes. Well, I, we talk about managing expectations, but there's a difference between managing expectations and doom brain. There's <laughs> but that's why we need therapy. That's why you know it's it's called disorder. If it made sense, it. Well, that's just something positive that the author had pulled out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, it does protect you from danger in, in, in a sense. The yeah. problem is it yeah, overprotects you from danger. And well, that's yeah. just as dangerous as. <laughs> that is just as dangerous. And so it's, you know, like anything, it's the extreme is the problem. It's, you know. I spent a long time in therapy, and I always learned something new. Not every single session, but, you know, over the course of, say, three, four sessions, I always learned two or three things about myself. And the minute I stop learning about myself is when you're done with therapy or you need to move on to a different therapist, depending upon your uh, situation. But it's always learning for me about myself is that therapy is a great opportunity to ask questions to yourself 
and give yourself honest, sometimes even brutally honest answers. And it's okay. Because ultimately, the only person who's judging you is yourself. You're your own worst judge. And if you're not, you've got problems. You should go to therapy. Now, you shouldn't be overly harsh on yourself, or you should go to therapy, but if <laughs> you need to be your own moral judge. Yeah. And you need to hold yourself to a relatively high standard. Otherwise, you're not. You know, but don't do it blindly. Understand why. You know, there's a lot of questions when you s sit there and you work on personal philosophies. Whether it's what you need out of therapy, whether it's how you raise your children, whether it's your philosophy on achieving life, what you want out of life. There's a lot of thought that goes into it. And it evolves. It changes. We talk about that all the time. How, you know, we evolve. And so as we evolve, what we want, need, desire out of life evolves. Yeah, it's just the way the life works. Okay, so what we got next? Nice, missed my thing. Why post about my mental health on Facebook? Well, I can tell people why I do. Okay. I have, I have over the last few years developed a, not just through here, through political workings and very that I have people who listen to me for whatever reason. And I have a perspective that most people can't understand, and I have an ability to communicate that in a way that people who don't experience anxiety disorder specifically, but mental health in general, I have a way of communicating that with people who can't understand because they haven't experienced it. I can walk that fence. or do not yet have the strength. And it's not for awareness. Awareness is BS. I don't buy awareness. It's to educate. It's to cure ignorance. And I want to be clear, there's nothing wrong with being ignorant. It just means you haven't known something yet. The only thing wrong is when you're willfully ignorant. There's nothing wrong with ignorance. I'm ignorant on lots of subjects. I couldn't weld anything to save my life. Completely ignorant on it. Yeah, I could learn. If someone would teach me. <laughs> but that's what I'm out here to do. I'm out here to teach. I'm out here to give a voice in the dark for people who need it. That's why one of the reasons why we call it late night love. It's for those who are lonely at night. Not just lonely for romantic love, lonely for human connection, lonely for understanding. And you never know how many people you can reach. You never know the impact you can make. One small change can change the future. And if you would like to send me and Lovia 
a, a note, you can send it at Dear Lovey at love at late night love us. You can reach me on Twitter at Jazzrack or on our Facebook page at the late night love. Okay, so now what do we got? We're gonna go off into some uh, discussion about child raising. Um, why is free why play? Why free play is disappearing in our culture? Well, we talk about fear, and it started out of fear. Why? People were afraid that their children were going to get hurt or worse. And so we became, started to become helicopter parents. And then the side effect of starting to become kind of helicopter parents is you start intervening in your child's life all the time. Not just hovering over them while they're at the playground and watching them while they're at the playground. Now you're watching them while they're doing homework. Now you're watching them while they're playing video games with their, with their friends. Now you're watching how him and his buddies are playing out in the backyard and preventing them from doing all the things that children do to learn how to interact with each other. You know, part of the thing about children having free playtime with each other or themselves is that they learn how to negotiate play with their friends. Hey, do we want to play basketball or football today? How do you decide that? How do kids learn how to make those decisions amongst each other if their parents are always the ones intervening and setting up the games? You know, are we playing wiffle ball? Where's first base? Where's third base? How many bases? Are we playing right field, left field, or are we just playing half? Because we only have five people, so we can't play a full field. What are the rules? You make them up on the fly. How can you do that if parents are doing it for you? How can you learn to make decisions? How can you learn to negotiate with your peers? How can you learn the soft skills of communication if your parents are doing it for you? And it's not done out of malice. It's done out of care and concern. It's just, we, we talked about it earlier. You know, you can overprotect something can cause as much damage as underprotecting. It just looks differently. You don't see it until 20, 30 years later. But it's still there. And so it's a it's a dangerous thing. You know, childhood is a chance for children to learn. But we all know we learn better by doing. We also know that failure teaches lessons that success cannot. And if children can't practice failure as children, what happens when they become an adult and failure is a routine part of life? Because it is. Not colossal failures, but, you know, we're human beings. We fail a lot. There's a lot, and there's <laughs> everyday disappointment. Yeah, and, and if, how can they be expected to negotiate with terms with their boss if they haven't learned how to negotiate terms on the playground with their friends? 
that's where it starts. We forget these soft, we forget the soft education. We just forget it. We think education is about school books and classrooms. No, it's much more than that. It's included. Yes, it's included. But there's so much more about raising a child. Become a... Oh. By either overprotecting them or underprotecting them. And let's be clear, we're going to fail. You're not going to walk that line perfectly. It's impossible. But it's okay. Because you learn. And that's what life is about, right? Yeah. Getting better. Yeah, getting better. Asking questions. Okay, so what did I, where did I mess up? How do I be better the next time something similar comes along? Or the next time I have to make a decision, how do I not screw it up so bad? How do I maintain my composure better? Whatever it happens to be. Being Asking hard questions and giving yourself honest answers. So, you know, why are we losing free play? Because we're afraid. We're afraid of what might happen instead of afraid of what might not happen. Anyway. All right. So we've got, oh, 20. All right. We've got five minutes till break. Okay. So I got something. I was reading on my timeline today. Well, we're not going to go question. We're going to go off, off the thing. It's about, it's a parenting question. And he says, how does he, uh, what was his phrase? All right. I'll set it up. His son, I'm assuming almost preteen teenager, went and bought a video game and then they went to, uh, I don't know, some festival somewhere. And, of course, his son got upset because he wanted to go home and play his video game. And so, you know, at those ages, sometimes the kids get mad and they do the whole I hate you thing, right? Uh-huh. And, and so you end up with this, uh, okay, fine, you know, if you punish me, I'll take away your electronics. Largely because he was screaming, probably not because he was saying I hate you. But... And it kind of escalates. Next thing you know, he's, you know, grounded from his electronics for five weeks. And you're going, how the hell did we get here? How How the hell did we get here? And you go, how do I, how do I, you know, deal with this without being overly harsh and being a dick? Right? Because you've realized you've kind of gone overboard for what was going on. And, but, but at the same time, you know, we bought him the game he wanted. We just wanted him to go to where the family was going to go to the festival where we bought him the game anyway or not, you know? So we didn't need to be, have this kid lose his cool, but how do you teach him to not lose his cool? How do you manage that whole mess? Well, first you got to apologize for losing your cool. Well, I don't know if you have to apologize for losing your cool yet. And maybe that's a, that's a a thing. But first, I think we need to understand what happens when children are screaming, I hate you. They're trying to hurt you with the only tool they know how emotion. Yes. But they're not doing it 
consciously. It's, you know, they're angry and they feel hurt. They're lashing out. And they're lashing out. And they're children. So they don't know how to respond appropriately yet. They don't know how to control this burst of emotion along with the burst of hormones that they're dealing with. And likely a burst of adrenaline. And they don't know how to cope with all these things yet. But you, but when you punish them for that, you're sending an accidental message. You're sending them that it worked. Oh. I'm saying that, yes, you can hurt me that way. Rather than, you can't hurt me that way. Yeah. I, know, I know you're just upset. You can't hurt me when you're just upset. And you disarm that. In the long term, it disarms that type of behavior because subconsciously they know it doesn't work. But that's why the toddler throws the temper tantrum in the in the grocery store. Because it Yeah, can, it, there was an epic one in my family <laughs> this week. A throw down on the ground, lashing around, throwing things, hitting her mother, screaming and yelling. It was world class right in the middle of Target in front of God in the country. Yes, and they do that because well, as a child, they don't do that because they know it hurts you, but they know that it can get a response. Now, whether it gets the proper response or not is up to you as the parent, but you can teach them a poor lesson by how you respond to that. Yes. And it's the same way. What happened in this thing is you've escalated it to the point where it's who could, you know, who's going to blink first? Who's going to. Who's going to stop feeling pain for Yeah, you're in a cold one. <laughs> oh, God. And that, and you know, the thing is, you're an adult. You're the one who's responsible for not doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And so while it's true, everything is true. He was completely out of bounds. But how to deal with that without creating the situation, making the situation worse is difficult. And there's no right answer because, you know, we can't sit here and say, we don't know the child, so I don't know what would necessarily work. And again, it's probably one of those things where what would have worked needed to be done three, four years ago, five years ago. And what you got to do now is, okay, how do we move on from here? How do we stop this cycle? Because the cycle is going to continue unless you actively stop it. You've set yourselves up to every time you have a disagreement, you have an argument because they, he now knows he has a way to hurt you. I'm feeling hurt, so I'm going to hurt you back. It's highly more, it's usually more effective on mothers and fathers, but. Dad's as a rule of thumb, dad's just, okay. <laughs> That's what I did. My favorite one was you look up the word bitch in the dictionary and there's your picture. <laughs> it was all I could do not to laugh. <laughs> well, but see, laughing may have actually been the better response because then it completely disarms it. How in the hell can you use that again? <laughs> if you get laughed at. <laughs> What is it? You know, a tyrant, a tyrant can be, can, can deal with being hated. They can deal with being feared. They can, you know, but what they can't cope with is being laughed at. 
because being laughed at takes sucks all the power. Yeah. So anyway, talking about sucking out all the power, love you needs a break, and so we will be back in a couple of minutes. And we are back. We want to thank our sponsor, and we want to let you know if you would like to help the show, you can go to. Oh, let me see if I can get these right. You can go to our locals community, late night love.locals.com, and you can help. I think it's two dollars a month and five dollars a month, depending upon the level. And I think I'm going to lower those prices. By the way, I just set up it was default. Or you can send us. And they also you can tip posts over there. So if you want to go to locals, we would appreciate it. Or you can donate over at anchor.fm slash late night love. And they got a donation button if you would like to help the show continue. All right. And speaking of continuing, put us right there. Right there's right. There's your anchor.fm slash late night love, if that was correct. By the way, you can send me a tweet over at Jazzrack. Or you can send dear lovey over there a note at love at late night love dot us. I'd and, love to hear from you. And you can find all our show notes and various social media things and whatnot over at late night love dot us. As we've growing. Okay. So back to our normal second half. Questions. Extravaganza. All right, my lovey. You want me to read these or you want to read these? Today? I'll read these. All my right. 10-year-old daughter treats her 11-year-old autistic brother like trash. She pushed him down the stairs yesterday. I think he will eventually snap and hit her. What do you think I should do? Well, one, why are you worried about... Him eventually snapping and hit her and not worried about why she's being such a pain in the butt to him. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think you've got the, you're worried is too far down the line and not worried enough about, okay, where's this behavior coming from? Now, 10 years old, 10 and 11, and autistic son, having raised an autistic child, they take a lot of time and effort and she may need simply be lashing out so she can get some attention. If I had to take a guess, and it's kind of a blind guess because of the information we don't know, but she's hurt, she's feeling something negative, and she's lashing out at her brother. And if she's lashing out at her brother, for some reason, she thinks that she's responsible. He's responsible. Yes. She thinks he's responsible for whatever her anger issues are, whatever her pain is, whatever she's feeling, she's blaming him. And you're going to have to figure out how to work through it. And it may be she might just need some time. She yeah. may need mother-daughter night. Mother-daughter night, some father-daughter time, some you know, alone, special, unique time with grandpa. You know, maybe you need to Focus on something she wants that she hasn't been able to get. You know, maybe she used to do, maybe she wanted to do gymnastics and hasn't been able to do it. And so you need to find some way to, you need to be more encouraging of, you know, whatever it is. It's, but she's feeling, these things generally happen because they're feeling pain of some form, emotional pain in their lashing out. And so you deal with that. 
In this case, punishment isn't the answer because, quite frankly, it's going to make it worse. Because she's just going to blame him for being punished. Yes. She's feeling a victim. And so you've got to deal with that and get her past that. And it's hard. Autistic children, depending upon how far they are, it's very difficult. It's very difficult on siblings. Because, you know, you feel like you often have to take care of a sibling. And you, you know, you have to watch out for them. You have to be extra careful. All this other extra burden that gets put on you. Yeah, it's easy for them to feel. And they're children. They don't know how to process this properly. It's up to us to help them through it. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, do something. Get her counseling. Spend some time with her be, before it actually gets worse. But my, I'd be more worried about her hurting him than him hurting her at this stage. Okay, what's next? I am married, but I had an affair with someone. But now he is threatening to ruin my married life. What should I do? Well. The sad reality is you reap what you sow. So what you can do is, at this stage, the only thing you can really do is to beat them to the punch. Beat them to the punch. That's the only way to treat blackmailers. Take away their power. That's it. And maybe Damn the consequences. Well, you're going to have the consequences anyway, so deal with the consequences. At least you have in the best way you can manage. Yeah. And at this stage, you getting you in front get of it. You get control somewhat. Yeah. I mean, at this stage, once it's once the ball is rolling, the ball is rolling. But your husband would much rather hear it from you. Really? Yeah. Trust me. He'd much rather hear it from you. Doesn't want to hear it at all. But if you if you're gonna hear it. I hadn't thought of it. Yeah, I'd much rather hear it from you than find out on my own. Or have the other person come. Have the other person come and. Tell you to deliberately trying to cause pain for both of you. Oh, God. Yeah. Think about that. What one. a mess. Yeah. Well, what a tangled web we weave. And you're going to have to unwind it. That's it. And the consequences are going to be what the consequences are going to be. But they're going to be worse if you don't. Yep. Okay. Would you kick your son or daughter out of your house if they were ruthlessly disrespecting you over a long period of time? Well, it depends on the age and depends on... What you're defining as disrespect. Are they obeying house rules? Is that the issue? House rules reasonable. Yeah. Are you being reasonable? Maybe you're the one. You know, it's entirely possible that you're not being reasonable and you're being disrespected because you're not being respectful of them. Respect is a two-way street. Now, as, as a parent, you actually <coughs> kind of start the process with a certain level of respect, but you can lose it. It's not guaranteed. You don't get it for all times and forever. You know, your behavior 
has an implicate has impact on how much respect you have for other people other people have for you and if you don't have respect for other people they're not going to maintain respect for you if you're lucky they may not say anything but that's not the same thing as having respect and see things i always say start in the mirror when you're dealing with children start in the mirror you're the adult you set this up somewhere along the way. You had created this condition. Now, if they're an adult child, then you've got a different story. Because then you're, there's, you're known to no moral obligation to take care of them anymore. Moral or legal obligation. You do it because of the kindness of your heart, because you love them, because you care about them, you want to see what's best for them, you don't want them to be hurt and out on the street and all the others, various issues. But they should respect you for that. That's a big deal. That garner should garner a lot of respect. Yes. You know, but you, you know, if, if you hang it over their head all the time, you know, so you can poison any well. Any well you dig, you can poison. And so while I'm not excusing child's behavior, I don't know enough about age or what or anything. But I'm assuming teenagers. Because that's when this kind of thing shows up. And, you know, you're partly responsible for the conditions. And you're partly responsible for fixing it. And you, as the adult, are responsible for starting the process moving. You want children to be responsible and respectful, starts in the mirror. Maybe some family counseling. Yeah. Well, we're always for counseling, coaching, whatever you want to do. You know, family coach, life coach, counseling. You know, not everybody needs a counselor or a psychologist. Sometimes a life coach is perfectly fine for somebody. Yeah. You know, just someone to bounce stuff off of. You know, just someone who's a good listener. You know, that's sometimes that's all you need. But you know, we are, I'm all for that. I'm always for that. Get kind of a external perspective from a trustworthy source. Yeah. Okay, you're gonna. This next one is for you. Uh -huh. Should I tell her I want to be called dad? My fiance has a daughter who's 24. I told her I want to be called dad, but she says I have a dad who I love. This is not up for grabs. Discussion. I respect you, but you are not my dad. I'm upset. What should I do? You're asking for too much. You don't, as a step parent, or or as a as a step parent, or as a supplemental father figure, shall we say? You don't have the right to ask. You earn that right. You earn that role. That is not a role that you take. That is a role you earn. That is a role they give to you. You can't expect it. Expecting it poisons the well. In my case, I, I don't know. It's hard to know if I was lucky or what. That, you know, all I had to do was fight with ghosts. I didn't have to fight a living person. I didn't have to not fight. I didn't, let me rephrase this. I didn't have to manage a relationship with a 
living father. I had to manage a relationship with a father that had passed away. And so that is you don't fight ghosts. You honor them. And in a sense, it shouldn't be that much different when it comes to a living parent. You honor the relationship they have with their biological father. You don't try to replace it. You're supplemental. You're added benefit. You're a bonus. They're a bonus to you. Yes. And you're, you know, it's, it's not about you. It's about them. You're the adult. You know, you're not going to be her father. It's not possible. But you can be a father figure. You can be the person that she turns to when she needs you. But she's not going to do that if you're demanding it. She's only going to do that if she feels comfortable going to you. This type of relationship literally has to be selfless. It can't be about you. Yeah. It hurts. You care. You love them. You would like them to call you your dad. I get it. I understand. But you're an adult. Move past it. Deal with reality. This young lady told you very clearly where she stood and you're not respecting her. Yes, well... It's not only that, what you have to understand is you're going to have, you've actually lost some respect ground that you're going to have to rebuild. You've damaged the relationship unknowingly, didn't intend to, but you've damaged the potential of the relationship by placing the demand that she clearly couldn't have. Now, personally, I would never ask that for, of, of a stepchild or even an adopted child. Now, depending upon the age of the adoption. But I would never ask that. Never ask. I walked into this knowing that their mother is their primary relationship. I'm just a friend. And that's the way it should be. And I'm happy they have a strong relationship with their mother because that's what's healthy for a child. Yeah. Yeah, but we do see this too often where adults are thinking of themselves instead of the children. I'm upset. So is she. And she's more important. Yeah. You're the adult. You know how to deal with being emotionally upset. You know how to cope. <laughs> All right. What we got next? I whacked my six-year-old niece for breaking a wine glass. Her brother, my, her father, my brother, is angry with me. But shouldn't he be teaching her discipline and carefulness? 
Well, one, it's not your child to whack. So regardless of of whether it was the prop, whether theoretically it was an appropriate response, it's not the appropriate response for you. And two, why do you have a wine glass in the reach of a six-year-old? They're six. They don't have self-control at six. <laughs> Expecting them to is foolhardy. They're gonna if you leave breakable things out, six-year-olds will break them. <laughs> you have unrealistic expectations of a six-year-old. Yeah. Well, why weren't you paying more attention? Why weren't you watching the child better? Why didn't you get whacked? <laughs> you know, who's again, who's the adult? And yes, you can when if it happens, you deal with it. You can explain, you know, like six year old, they can kind of comprehend that, hey, you should have done that. Come on, look what happens. You have to clean up the mess and you can help them. Well, it's glass, so there's not much help they can actually do, but you can make them kind of sit there and watch you clean up and, and, and you can explain to them how they have to be careful and all that stuff. And some of it gets through. Yes. They get the disappointment. They're six years old. All you have to do is really express disappointment in them and they feel it. But in a sense, even if it was something that deserved, say, a pat on a on a, a light tap on the butt to say, hey, that was not right, it's not your place. Not your place. And that was the mistake. Okay. And quite frankly, I don't like the term whack. <laughs> you get a tap on the butt <laughs> to, you know, to reinforce a quick no over an immediate issue is one thing. I'm not all that fond of the term whack. Okay. I don't either. All right. This next one. I think my dad knows about my period because my mom told him without my consent. And I don't want him to know. What should I do? Uh, honey, he knows what age you are. And he knows you're going to get your period. Everybody does. All women, all young girls do. He kind of. Well, and he has to know. He's your parent. He might have to take you to the doctor in an emergency one day. And the doctor might ask, you might be knocked out. And the doctor has to ask him, has she has she started her period yet? He's going to need to have to know. He's going to have to know. And, and This I, is medical information. And here's the thing. I'm compassionate. I get why she's creeped out about it. I really do. I understand. I, you know, it. I wouldn't. I, I was in her I, shoes. I, I, it would I, I really do. It's I get it, and trust me, your father doesn't want to know, except for the <laughs> fact that he needs to know. <laughs> He'd rather not know, but he needs to know. <laughs> these are these things in life that you know. Sometimes in life, the things you don't like have to be done, and it's creepy. We don't like it, and especially young girls in this whole thing, it's kind of gross and icky and you, you don't want, you don't even want it to be happening, let alone let other people know you'd be happening. I get it. You know, just, it just is. There's some things in life that we just have to get used to. It gets easier. I can tell you that. You know, but I still get a little tinge of ooginess whenever I I get uncomfortable. It, it's it's uncomfortable. It, it, I tried there, it. There's yeah. There's no way around it. 
it, but it's very intimate. But you know, you have to know. Yeah. Because it's a you know it's a medical thing. All right. My 15-year-old daughter told me that she wants to start a treatment to change her gender. Am I being a bad parent by refusing? How can I deal with this the best way possible? Well, my question is would be why you're refusing. If you're refusing because you're concerned about this kind of change, why, still, uh, why their hormones are still changing, why their body's still developing, and, but you're generally supportive about the idea, but can we wait until you've stopped growing? Essentially, uh, you've done the basic stop growing. Can we wait until your hormones have settled down and all that kind of thing? And since you're responsible until you're 18, you know, I can, if that's the reasoning, if it's a medical issue, say, look, then it's okay. Then, no, you're not being a bad parent. If you're saying, I don't think they should trans, should, you know, do go through this because I don't believe in the transgender issues or the whole, you know, uh, you should become your, you should be your assigned gender or whatever it is. And that's a different issue. You know what I mean? It's, there's two ways. There's a group of people who don't believe in transgenders. They don't believe that people can be born in the wrong body and that uh, using medicine to fix it is acceptable. And if that's the reason you're saying no, then you should reconsider your motivations. I'm not going to say you should reconsider your position, but you should reconsider your motivations. But if the issue is, you know, I'm not comfortable with giving you hormone blockers and hormone changers while you're still developing and still growing. It's got nothing to do with you being transgender or not. It's just the underlying medical issues. And I prefer you to wait until you're 19, 20, you know, where your body is actually settled down. Yeah. Yeah. Then that's a different issue. That's a different issue. And, but that's a discussable issue as well. That's an issue where you can sit down and have a discussion with the doctor and you can work all these things out and you can come to a, a, a reasonable, you know, a reasonable outcome. Because there's medical issues and then there's psychological issues and psychological issues play a big role in your physical health. And so it's not a simple equation. This is a very difficult medical decision between doctors and patients. And when you're dealing with teenagers, parents, I don't understand why uh, counseling isn't required for a gender reassignment. I think if memory serves, and I could be wrong, that the patient does have counseling, has to have counseling. Okay. I think as a general rule of thumb. But family counseling is probably a good idea when you're dealing with teenagers. Yes. Okay, so we've got time for one, maybe two questions. So we got when did you realize that your mother and I will never treat you as one of our own, ch own children, regardless of what you do? Well, why would you expect why her to? Would you, I wouldn't expect that from your mother. And why would you expect her to? And secondly, why would you want her to? You have a mother. Or you've had one. I had a mother. Yeah, she can't be my mother. Now, I kind of get... Now, if what you actually mean is you, you want to be more fully accepted into the family. 
I that that's another thing though. Your mother's always made me feel very welcome, and my my whole family too. She's very gracious. So, but yeah, it's like the it's it goes back to the or one earlier. You don't why why are you expecting this other people? The problem isn't them. The problem is your expectations. You know, does she treat you nice? Are you part of the family? Be happy. Most, you know, a lot of people have mother-in-laws they can't stand. <laughs> you know, appreciate what you have rather than what you don't. Really? You know, most a lot of people have mother-in-laws that they can't stand. And if you have one that you like, that you'd actually like to treat you as a member of the family, be happy with that. God bless you, you know. Good Lord. How many people would like to ask to have a nice, pleasant mother-in-law. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, we got one more. Last one. Is it okay to never tell your child they're adopted? Oops, I left this thing on. Um, that's a difficult question. That's a hard one. I think if they ask, you probably have an obligation to tell. If it were me, at some point I would. Because you don't want to have a dishonest relationship. The question is, when is the appropriate time? And there's no easy, quick answer for that. I can't think of any way that you can have like a checklist then say, okay, here's the time to tell. Uh, it's one of those things you're just going to have to do it by the seat of your pants. That if you're a loving, caring parent, you'll know when it's the right time. We do tell them after they turn 18, but I think the general rule of thumb if they ask. Yeah, well, but if, I think you should probably tell them before they're 18. It, it just because it, these things have a tendency to come up and you're going to have to deal with it when it comes up because otherwise you're lying to them. And it's one thing to kind of, you know, with a five or six year old to kind of brush it aside. It's another thing with a 12 year old. Yes. And so my thing is you don't want to have a dishonest relationship. Because you don't want to poison something that is beautiful. Yes. And so, you know, but there's also, it's not an easy question. Because, you know, when's too soon? When's the right time? And it's also, there comes a point where it's a medical issue. Someone, you know, their doctor's going to ask them about their family medical history. And if they tell you yours, it's not relevant. Yes. I thought of that, too. So, you know, it's, it's going to come up. And when it comes up, you want to be ahead of it rather than behind it. You know, reduce the trauma. There's going to be trauma with it regardless of what you do. So you want to have it in the least traumatic way possible. You know, because that's an earth-shattering thing. The world you thought as it was, wasn't.
you know, but then you realize, okay, it really was. It's just, <laughs> but you know, I can imagine you told me I'm not really your, what about your biological parent? I've just raised you. That's an earth shattering thing for a while until you can wrap your head around that the parent is the one that raised you, not the one that necessarily gave you the DNA. But there's always a call for those people, for adopted children. They know. There's an instinct, right? I swear to God, there's an instinct. They know. They'll know. And, you know, some of them want to go and search out and some don't. Search out their, their birth family and others don't. But they should have the right to make that decision. And speaking about the rights to make that decision, it is the decision that it's time to be over. From me and Lovey, we want to thank you for joining us. We want to remind you, you can go send Lovey a letter at love at latenightlove.us. You can visit us at Locals. Oops, you can find me at Twitter, uh, at Jazzrack. You can find us at anchor.fm slash latenightlove or various podcast networks. You can find us at latenightlove.locals.com. You can find us on all the various social media platforms. And from me and Lovey, we want to thank you for joining us. And please remember to love everybody. Good night.